Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 104, and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And as always, we like to bring you interesting discussions with diverse voices, both new and returning. And we have a new guest on the show, uh, Bish, the host of Get A Life podcast. Bish, welcome to the show, although technically you're not new because we have spoken before. We have, yeah. We've spoken on my podcast, actually, more than actually maybe nine or ten years ago. So it's nice to be back on, on your podcast. It would be there's a long time repaying the favor, I guess. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> remember that favor you did for me like almost a decade oh, so ago? I don't see it like that. I see it like old friends coming back together after a long time of not seeing each other. There you go. We'll go with that. So, but uh, yeah, no, thanks for joining us um, now. And for people listening, uh, to let them know that you can subscribe to Story X Story uh, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, pretty much wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, and you can also send us feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com. Uh, throw them at us on social media. Uh, we are at myamada on Twitter, at myamada TV on Instagram and TikTok or at Tazzy on everything. Uh, and you can join our Studio 77 Discord to be part of the Maya Matter universe, uh, meet others in the community. You can also consider becoming a Studio 77 member to support the work that we do at Maya Matter and get exclusive access to events and artwork as well. Uh, so before we get into today's story discussions, uh, I'm going to update you with the latest from the Maya Matter universe. <laughs> Listeners of the podcast uh, and those who are following us on Twitch will know we have started a new series called Casual Conversations with Comic Creators, where every month I'm talking to a new comic creator uh, about the work, about themselves, and aiming to get a better understanding of the human being uh, behind the art that we all enjoy. Uh, so you can catch the VOD of my interview with Dutch creator Renee Rientes, uh, who has been on our podcast a couple of times. We've spoken to her recently uh, on the podcast and she is working on a comics anthology that is being kickstarted. Well, technically it's already been made, but uh, in terms of like getting things printed and all that, they're doing a Kickstarter for it. So we're going to talk a bit more uh, about that on the live uh, show. So you can catch the VOD of that until Tuesday, the 17th of May. Uh, and if you are a Studio 77 member, uh, beyond that, uh, it will just live uh, as part of that uh, membership. And speaking of Studio 77 members, you can catch our Halo Infinite Games Night. I think we've got that for, we had to shift it to uh, 12th of May, um, but we might shift it again. But follow us on Twitch and you'll find out when we're doing that. It's coming up soon. Uh, so that's going to be from 7 p.m. BST, whenever, whatever day we do do it on. And we'll be playing Halo Infinite multiplayer with Studio 77 members, which you can watch long on Twitch. I've not played Halo in a long while, but let's say it's like riding a bike and uh, I'll just pick up again uh, exactly where I left off. Uh, you can also check out our past games nights uh, on YouTube uh, once we do the live stream. Uh, we work eventually on putting the highlights on our YouTube so you can check out uh, the best bits, the funniest bits um, of us learning to play different games. Uh, we have a bunch of news for our Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign, which we launched early in the year. 
which is aiming to promote diversity and inclusion in the video games industry. So you can follow us on social media as well as check out the campaign website uh, to see the 40 players and makers uh, that we featured in our photo campaign. Uh, We also did a launch live stream and the different segments from that are on YouTube. So you can check that out where we talk to different people who are part of the campaign and get involved especially if you are a young or aspiring games professional uh, because this is for you it is about uh, getting people who might not be sure about how to get in the games industry those from underrepresented backgrounds so we want those people to get involved in the campaign and the events over spring and summer so you can win a campaign t-shirt that's always a good thing so you can take a photo with your favorite controller use the campaign toolkit And you could be in with a chance to win one of our Do I Look Like a Gamer t-shirts. So check the show notes for the link. Uh, We'll put that there where you can download the toolkit and take part in that. And we have a couple events coming up. We have the Family Game Design Jam where we're giving young people, parents and guardians the opportunity to discover the game design process by making their own tabletop games together. So the idea is using low-tech tools to get a handle on the different aspects of designing a fun and engaging tabletop game. Obviously, those skills translate into video games, but doing tabletop makes it more accessible uh, for different generations. Uh, So we're going to be at the Redmond Community Centre, which is in Hackney in London, on Saturday the 4th of June from midday. So the tickets are free. Uh, thanks to our campaign sponsors, uh, but space is limited. So you can sign up uh, as a team. So we're going to be working together uh, as teams, or if you are an individual, sign up, join us, and then we'll group people uh, on the day. So looking further out, we also have our networking event, the Ice Cream and Gamepad Social. Because networking is such a key skill in any profession, and in video games, uh, because it's a relatively small industry, doubly so, but something that if you're a young person just out of education, um, someone from an underrepresented community uh, without the existing uh, network, it can be difficult. So this is an opportunity uh, to meet other aspiring professionals and those working in the games industry in a inclusive, low stakes environment. Uh, We're going to throw in some desserts and some friendly competition. So come and play games, uh, meet other people. We'll be at the Samsung KX building in King's Cross on Saturday the 2nd of July from 4pm BST. And again, it's a free event. So yeah, come take part. So the campaign is proudly sponsored by Rocksteady Studios and Splash Damage. So they are allowing us to put on these free events uh, for people to join in, take part, get involved with and all that good stuff. So that's some of the stuff that we are working on at Maya Matter. Now you're all caught up. Let's talk about some of the stories that we've been enjoying this week after a quick message from today's sponsor. Hey everyone, if you've been listening to this podcast for long enough, you would have heard us talk about our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign. So this is a project we have started in 2020 with the aim of challenging the stereotypes around the word gamer, promote inclusion and diversity in the video games industry, and provide awareness of careers in the industry, plus opportunities for young and aspiring professionals to develop skills. And I'm proud to say that we have been sponsored in that campaign by Splash Damage, who are also hiring 
the London-based studio have recently announced they are working on a number of new titles built in Unreal Engine 5. And if you've seen any of the demos that have come out, you know that is very exciting. You might know Splash Damage from their work on Dirty Bomb, the Gears of War franchise, which I really enjoyed until my Xbox 360 suffered the fatal Red Ring of Death, but that's a whole other story, Brink and Wolfenstein Enemy Territory. But the studio is beginning an exciting new chapter with its own games and own IP and they are looking for talented and ambitious people to join them. And as we here at Mayamada continue to push for increased diversity and representation in video games, not just on screen, but behind the scenes, we're encouraging people to go and check them out. Splash Damage are offering in-studio, hybrid and remote working options. So head to careers.splashdamage.com to learn more. And now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. So this is our spoiler-free discussion about what stories people have been reading, watching or playing. And we will start with our guest. Uh, yeah, so I've been really watching maybe two things mainly, Food Wars and Spy Family. We get a lot of suggestions for the podcast, so people can be a bit odd with their suggestion someone suggested food wars so i was like okay i'll give this a try it's very hype at least the first season and then it kind of drops off towards the third or fourth season and i don't know it was a bit disappointing to for me to be honest because i kind of expected more from that studio jc staff really fantastic studio worked on stuff like toradora and golden time so you kind of have this image in your mind that this is going to be a great anime and it was good but the hype died down, especially towards the end. You don't get as much... It's a cooking anime, so you don't get as much uh, of the anticipation in the cooking towards the end because they just assume that you know everything about all the characters. But other than that, I mean, that was very disappointing for me. But other than that, Spy Family, fantastic. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's uh, it's airing this season. It's about a family um, that have sort of joined together. So it's like a father that's a spy, a, a child that's an empath, is what they described it in Japanese, but it's basically a psychic, and the mother is, a, is an assassin. So they kind of all come together, and you see how they deal with one another. It's very interesting. I, I quite enjoyed that. I'm a bit disappointed about the, the Food Wars situation, because I've not finished <laughs> it. I'm just on whatever's on Netflix, because that's how I'm watching it. And I love it, so I'm I'm like, do I just never finish it? <laughs> do I just have in my head that it's great and it never gets disappointed? <laughs> Look, until you get to season four, like halfway through season four and then into season five, I would say stop it at season three. So at the end of season three, wow. just forget season four and five existed. Because the way that the show was structured, they have 24 episodes for the first season, 24 for the second, 24 for the third, then 12 and 12. So you get less content and they have to skip out a lot. And because of the fact that there isn't enough source material, they have to kind of make up for it. So they skip a lot of content. Uh... And it's, not, it's not that good. I mean, Netflix, I think, only has the first three seasons, I think. And I think they're only dub, if I'm not mistaken. They do have the sub. Oh, okay. Yeah, I generally watch dub anyway, because I ain't got time to watch subs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh God, that's uh, not great to hear, but okay, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, I've also been watching Spy Family. Well, ki kind of, I'm not up to date. Oh my God, I love Spy Family. I'm so looking forward to watching this. And it's going to be one really of like, interesting. 
It is so good. It is really, really, really good. I think you'll like it. And it's not, I like anything that's like, this is cool because it follows like a family dynamic. And I think that's like rarely done. But yeah, so far I've enjoyed the first two episodes that I've watched. Two? Yeah, first two episodes. I've loved them. Actually, I think I might be on, I think I might have watched episode three. I think there's only like three episodes anyway, because it's being simulcasted. So even if you've only watched two, it's fine, because it's still, I think it's still going on for another 10 or 12 episodes. Yeah, I thought there was like four or five episodes out. Uh, you know what? I haven't checked it in a while. So. In, in subbed anyway. Not sure. But it's it's great. <laughs> However, like episode one and two are amazing. And from what I've heard, it just carries on being great. So yeah, I've all, yeah, that's what I've also been watching. I've been watching uh, Moon Knight. I think I'm like two and a half or three and a half episodes in. So I've got like, not like just a one and a bit episodes to watch, <laughs> um, which I'm loving. I finished Bridgerton, the last season of Bridgerton, which, ah, I just, I really love the show. <laughs> I was just it trying was to like int- decipher that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so upset when it ended because I was like, no, that's all you're giving us this season. But I still really enjoyed it. Um, And I'm looking forward to the next season. And then I started Tiger and Buddy season two. Oh, my God. I was so excited when I saw like the new episodes coming and then super excited when it was like out now. And I'm like, but I've been I've uh, I've been crazy busy. So I mean, this is why I have like a half watched episode of Moon Knight and and I just didn't want to watch I didn't want to watch too much of um of Tiger and Bunny while I'm so busy and I'm not necessarily able to sit down and really enjoy it as much. So I just can't wait till I can actually like sit down and watch the next like watch the rest of the episodes of the season because I love Tiger and Bunny. I think this anime is so underrated and I think more people need to watch it. I agree with you. I mean, to be honest with you, I was surprised that they even revived that anime after like 10 years. That rarely happens in the anime industry. Like if you don't hear about a second season within two, maybe three years maximum, just assume it's not going to come back. But yeah. Netflix put in a lot of money and they were like, yes, we need to bring it back. And I'm excited to watch it. And I'm excited the fact that Netflix dropped the whole season at once. I I still haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to it because I really enjoyed the first season of Tiger and Bunny. It was like unique, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, because it's like a superhero thing, but it's like a group of, well, mixture of people, but like you're predominantly following adults. (laughs) And it's like, I don't know, there's just something about the storytelling and it's, go watch it. If you haven't watched it, you have to watch Tiger and Body, please. Because I need, I need it to get good views so that they continue it. Cool. It's, I didn't see it come up on, uh, on my Netflix and I was like, oh yeah, that's the one that uh, Tazzy mentioned. I need to, need to get to that. Yeah. And um, that's, that's it from me. So Nigel, uh, what about you? Yes, yeah, so I have been also watching Moon Knight because, well, because it's Marvel and I'm just going to like watch <laughs> watch Marvel uh, <laughs> until like uh, they completely mess up, but uh, they haven't done it so far in my opinion. So this this is an interesting one because this is, I think of all the Marvel shows and films, this is one I just have no prior knowledge 
of. I just know that he exists and that's about it. So no expectations. It's interesting. I can just watch. I can just take in what I'm seeing without any like, oh, it's going to go in this direction and I'm expecting this. I'm just like watching it as go. And it's interesting because it starts off quite... So I've watched three episodes. I just watched the third one yesterday. And it starts off in an interesting way where the the character, the main character doesn't know what's going on and it's and it's shot like intentionally and like the the audience doesn't quite know what's going on i guess unless you've sort of read the source material and uh, and everything but you're you're like trying to figure it out together i feel that's an interesting thing because there's a lots of um like cuts in time um not like space time travel or anything but just like jump forwards in time where the main character is losing parts of days and then you're like wait what just happened and try to figure that out and then you see the the character uh, Moon Knight as well, which again uh, I know very little about, so I'm just like taking it as you come. But uh, Oscar Isaac is like he gets about now. He's in he's in a lot of big franchises. He's like he's in Dune. He's in what else is he in? I can't think. He's in some. He's I in, don't know. He's in a bunch of other things. But yeah, I'm liking watching him and just like figuring out this story. Um, like, I wish I could say more, but I can't even say like what the story is without going too much into spoilers and because i don't know uh, everything myself but yeah I, i'm enjoying it so far things as well sorry just like with the time jumps i think you could find it quite jarring but it's also meant to be and i love that about it that it's like you're meant to feel jarred by it because you're supposed to be like feeling what the character is feeling oh, totally yeah no I, I i like that i like that approach exactly like you say because you it's like a way of making you feel what the character is feeling so you're like oh i just lost time i don't know what happened because he doesn't know what <laughs> what happened and he's figuring it out so although i <laughs> I, I, I have to say because um so the character so oscar Isaac basically plays two characters but one of them uh, is based in london and he's got the the london accent and I don't know if it's just me. Like whenever I hear a London accent, I'm just like, I kind of, I look around for no one in particular. I'm like, is that what we sound like? Do we sound like that? <laughs> I thought it was on so well though. Yeah. I'm like, I've definitely heard that person. I've definitely spoke to that person. Oh yeah, yeah no, for sure. For sure. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's just when it's like fed back to me, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, uh, I guess that's, uh, that's <laughs> us. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's cool as well. So yeah, I'll, I think cause it's six episodes, right? So at some point I'll, I guess we can, um, again, without going to spoilers, but get a bit more context on the on the character. Maybe uh, feed that back in the podcast, and then alongside that, I've also started watching Demon Slayer, which is one I've had awareness of for a while, but kind of avoided just for no particular reason. Really, I just like actually no. Let me <laughs> backtrack on that because um, it seemed quite popular, and I have sometimes I just have like an aversion to things that are popular. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll just get back to that reason why I still haven't watched uh, Squid Games, but I will. And Demon Slayer is one that often comes up in the workshops that I do. Uh, I remember one uh, recently with a bunch of kids around like 10, 11 years old uh, with their parents. I, I usually throw out like, you know, what uh, what do people watch? What do, what do people read? Uh, and this, this kid said like Demon Slayer. And at the time I hadn't started watching it, but I, I knew enough to ask the question, how old are you? And like, are you sure you should be watching that? And even, so we did an event at the BFI recently and uh, we had like families come in 
So uh, we had a couple excited kids come in and like, you know, just talk, start talking about like Shonen uh, animator into, and they mentioned Demon Slayer. I was like, huh, okay. Um, by that point I had, I had watched this. All that's to say, I'm not sure this is an anime for kids uh, because this is a story where basically the premise is a, uh, a young boy, Tanjiro, he starts to become a Demon Slayer after his family was slaughtered. So the, the story starts with his family being slaughtered and quite brutally by by the looks of it and yeah that is uh that's how that starts so it's quite a heavy first episode and then uh, i've seen like a handful then he goes into kind of learning about becoming a demon slayer uh, and that's about where i am uh, at the moment so uh, i'm liking it it was just like it made me think of past conversations with with uh, kids and parents and like mm, not sure about that but uh we'll see i'm enjoying it so far it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, the fact that these children were coming up and they were interested in Demon Slayer. But the way that I see it, I mean, it's uh, it's part of the Shonen Jump, you know, manga collection and stuff like that. So Shonen, it's it's anime and manga that's sort of designed for that sort of audience that, you know, 12 years old and above and things like that. And I think even in Japan, it's an incredibly popular series. I mean, to the point where I think it even... If I'm not mistaken, it's like the number one selling film or something like that in like Yes. In in it's it's mad, right? So a lot of the people that are watching it are gonna be, you know, you you younger kids, things like that. I don't know, but I think it's possibly the fact that, you know, violence is a very I don't know, it's it's uh it's something that attracts people, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, it and it's got all that. of that, you know? Yeah, and I will say that the I think the the first episode was quite a, like a, a shock the way it, the way it starts and the others since I, like again I've only sort of watched a handful so far but sort of fit more into the what I'd expect I, I think it was just like that that first episode like oh I mean I don't know what's to come but but yeah like you said it does overall it does feel like it fits within that show and I, I guess that is the that is the audience out of interest because the other uh, one of the conversations I did mention Attack on Titan. And then the, no, actually, no. So I mentioned Attack on Titan and then the, the kid said that, oh, I'm, uh, I can't watch that yet. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not old enough. And then uh, the one was like, yeah, we're not, you know, we're not quite there yet. But in my mind, I didn't say this out loud, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm sure you just said Demon Slayer. Yeah. I was going to say, wait, so they're, they're allowed to watch Demon yes. Slayer, but they're not allowed to watch Attack on Titan. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, but I hadn't seen enough of like Demon Slayer, and I've only seen the first episode, uh, first season of Attack on Titan to to go any further in that conversation. But I was just like, oh, because I, I I saw the first episode, and like, I'm sure if he's if he got past that, I'm sure he'll be fine with Attack on Titan. But I don't have kids, so these aren't my kids, you know. Uh, have at it. But uh, yeah, so that's what I'm watching at the moment, uh, liking them both, and uh, yeah, we'll um, uh, update as I watch more. Uh, so those are our stories that we've been enjoying. So with that, let's get into our main story discussion. And today we are going to be talking about Spirited Away, the 2001 anime film written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki and animated by Studio Ghibli, who uh, you may have heard of. So pretty popular so spoiler alert we're now going to get into the spoiler section of our podcast uh, and talking about all the uh the parts of this film uh, and all the meaning behind it uh, that we have time for 
I'll do a recap of the story. But first, let's get everyone's quick uh, impressions uh, about the overall film. Uh, so we'll start with our guest, uh, Bish. Um, yeah, what did you think of this this film? Uh, what impact did it have on you? Um, well, initially, I mean, this film is a, a classic. It's, you know, won a lot of awards and things like that. But it was actually the film that got me into anime. I never used to like anime. I used to hate it, actually. Because, you know what, it, it didn't seem cool at the time growing up to be like, oh, I'm an anime <laughs> fan. But this just sort of changed my mind on it. It was very down to earth. It had a premise that was very interesting. And there was a lot of sort of references that I wanted to know more about, you know, seeing those spirits in the bathhouse and and things like that. It made me want to immerse myself into another culture and learn more about Japanese culture and things like that. And the fact that the show, the, the film has a moral behind it as well, even from mm. the get go, you know, when the, their parents turn into pigs because of the greed that they have. It, it hit me because I was like, wow, I haven't seen a film that actually deals with, especially an animated film, that actually deals with real problems, right? And like, actually like teaches children, you know, what's going on. Because you see a lot of like Disney films when you're growing up and you, you know, you see like, I'll give an example, like something like Beauty and the Beast, right? Where Belle managed to change this beast into, into a man. And I think that might be you know, a very outdated thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can change them. Like, you yeah, can I mean, stick in there. Well, it's true. I mean, you can't really change someone's personality. You have to try really, really hard. I think sometimes, that you know, there's a lot of toxic relationships. I don't want to get into it, but this anime is very clear cut with what it's trying to teach and what it's trying to resolve. You know, what Chihiro goes through, especially like leaving one town, going to another, trying to adjust. It's stuff that's very relatable. And I think for me, that kind of drew me in, if that makes sense. And it's it's always a film that sort of stayed in my heart, you know, because I watched it every year, you know, because it's always on the BBC for some odd reason. But I'd watch it every year during holidays and just try and immerse myself back into that that environment that Miyazaki created. No, that's really interesting. And yeah, the, the anime that got you into anime, that's a... Yeah, it's quite a uh, tile, but I can see why. But Tazzy, what do you think? So this was like, what, the second anime movie I ever watched, unless you count the first Pokemon movie. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yes, I count. <laughs> okay, then it's the third. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I watched um, Princess Mononoke first, for sure, in in school. Uh, some of in the the DVD and then I was like oh, I need to see more of them um, and I was friends with the person that brought in the DVD so yeah when we was around their house watched watched Spirited Away but um I'm trying to think like because like I was young when it when I would have watched it and I don't I don't know what my initial reaction was to it and now it's just a film that I watch all the time like mm. it's just it's just like a film that I watch, and I've never really thought about it from a perspective of like the themes and things. So it's going to be interesting, like talking about things because up until now it's just it's just a film I really like and I watch a lot. <laughs> 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 like it's a comfort. Um, but yeah, I just I I really like the film. I mean, the fact that I've watched it several times is is a testament to that but the one thing i think i realized when i was going to do this podcast is i was and i was meant to change that is i think i've only watched it 
twice in Japanese right? and not paying much attention while watching it in Japanese or like the times I have, I think I've been like falling half asleep. So yeah, and I was like, oh, I was trying to, I really wanted to try and fit in watching it fully in Japanese before this podcast, but I didn't get around to it. So that's relevant because <laughs> I wanted to like see the difference. But that's, I don't really have much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I guess it's one of those ways always there to say, but I think your your thing about the themes is like, because the first time I um, I saw it, I, I don't know what, yeah, I didn't really, not to say I didn't necessarily pick up, or maybe it's just one of those where when I watched it recently, it was like, oh, okay, now I'm in the place where I, that, that connects with me. Maybe it's one of those things is like just at the right time. Mm. There was, as I was like putting the notes together for this, I came across a, a comment in the YouTube section, which is usually not a place I go to for anything other than to be disappointed at humanity. But uh, there was this nice comment, which I felt summed up like what I was feeling like after watching this. And it just, uh, someone just said like, Disney touches the heart, Studio Ghibli touches the soul. I was like, yeah, because... I mean, we've done a few uh, uh, Miyazaki uh, films now. Well, have we done? We've done Princess Mononoke. We've done Princess Mononoke, or yeah. It, is that, or was it just that one? Okay, maybe just that one. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe it was. Might, but... um, no, I'm sure we've done another. I think we've done another. Oh, um, trying to think. Kiki's Delivery Service. Kiki's Delivery, yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. cool. All right, yeah. So, and it just, like, whenever I'm, I'm watching, I, I it's... It's really one of those where when the film stops, I'm still thinking about it. And it's like, it just means a lot. And this was just the case where it's it's good. I'm watching, I'm enjoying it and I'm, I'm picking up on things, but I'm still thinking about it when it's when it's finished. And that YouTube comment, probably the, uh, the one positive YouTube comment I've seen uh, this year just captured that. It's like, these films just go straight to the soul. They just connect mm-hmm. on that level. And that's such a, an amazing thing that, that they do so i've just remembered that we have done another one as well the wind rises pretty sure we spoke about that. oh yes we did oh yeah we've done a bunch see there we've you go that's, yeah, yeah. You know what? that's what happens <laughs> when you do over 100 you start to forget <laughs> we're, we're old enough that we now start to forget or i start to forget uh things that we've done so uh thank you for that tazzy but yes uh so we cut the film and we'll get into it uh so this is a story that follows 10 year old chihiro as he travels with her parents to their new home when her father decides to take a shortcut. Their car stops in front of a tunnel to a, an abandoned amusement park, which Chihiro's father insists on exploring until they find an empty restaurant stocked with food, which Chihiro's parents immediately begin to eat, as you do. Exploring elsewhere, Chihiro meets a boy named Haku, who warns her to return before sunset, but Chihiro's parents have already transformed into pigs and she is unable to cross the now flooded river. Haku tells the now stuck Chihiro to ask for a job from the bathhouse's boiler man, Kamanji, who has another worker, Lin, send Chihiro to Yubaba, the witch who runs the bathhouse. Yubaba gives Chihiro a contract to work for her, giving her the name Sen. Haku warns her that Yubaba controls people by taking their names and that if she forgets hers like he has forgotten his, she will not be able to leave the spirit world. So Sen invites a silent creature named No-Face into the bathhouse. A stink spirit arrives as Sen's first customer and she discovers he is the spirit of a polluted river. Meanwhile, No-Face tempts a worker with gold before swallowing him. 
He demands food and throws more gold around, swallowing more workers along the way. Sen later sees a dragon under attack and recognizes it as Haku. Badly injured, Haku crashes into Yababa's penthouse. Sen follows him upstairs and they meet a projection of Zeniba, Yababa's twin sister. Zeniba tells Sen that Haku has stolen a magic golden seal from her and warns Sen that it carries a deadly curse. Sen resolves to return the seal and apologize to Zeniba. She confronts No-Face and feeds him the rest of the dumpling, which No-Face throws up everything he has eaten and travels with Sen and friends to Zeniba with train tickets given to her by Komanji. Meanwhile, Haku makes a deal with Yubaba to release Sen and her parents, but only if Sen can pass a final test. Zeniba reveals that Sen's love for Haku broke her curse before Haku appears in dragon form and flies Sen back to the bathhouse. In mid-flight, Sen remembers falling years ago into the Kohaku River and figures out that Haku's real identity is the spirit of the Kohaku River. When they arrive at the bathhouse, Yubaba forces Sen to identify her parents among a group of pigs to break the curse. She answers correctly that none of the pigs are her parents and the contract disappears as she is given back her real name. Haku takes her to the now dry riverbed and vows to meet her again. Chihiro crosses the riverbed to her parents who don't remember anything. They all walk back through the tunnel to their car and Chihiro looks back at the tunnel unsure if their adventure really happened. The end. Uh, So one of the things that I kind of, I didn't actually know that this had uh, won an Oscar um, because Bish mentioned earlier that sort of award-winning film and like I knew like the the scale of like the awards and everything but I actually didn't know that this had won an actual Oscar and uh, it was at the 75th Academy Awards where it won for best animated feature um so and in the second year of the category's existence so it's also the only hand-drawn feature to win that honor so was i the only one that that didn't know that like i, I must have missed that oscar i didn't ceremony. know that but i'm not the one to know that sort of stuff anyway yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to be that guy but i i did actually know that one <laughs> no it's cool that's um and then you also mentioned uh bitch like Demon Slayer is the sort of number one uh, film. So until Demon Slayer, this Spirited Away was Japan's highest grossest film uh, of all time uh, for 19 years until uh, Demon Slayer came. And uh, I'm slowly making my way to realizing why that is. So And also got some recognition from the BBC as the uh, fourth best film of the 21st century uh, voted for in 2016. So what I'm interested in, because like, I don't know, my, my perception, even with Studio Ghibli, like my perception is anime doesn't make it into the mainstream, whereas this very much has. What do you think there is about this film that has allowed it to cross like so well into mainstream consciousness and like stay there? For me, I think it's not necessarily about the film, but I think it's more so about the distribution that the film kind of undertook. Right. It was at the time, I think it got into a lot of cinemas. There's already been some sort of hype around previous uh, Ghibli films, especially the Miyazaki ones, you know, My Neighbor Tot- uh, Totoro and things like that. But it's also the fact that it had a dub. I think a lot of people tend to forget that dubs are very, very important uh, in kind of making anime more mainstream. Right. Because when you put a, a film in someone's native language, 
they're more likely to go and see it, you know. I sometimes mm. get a bit bored when, I, you know, I love subs, right? And I love the Japanese language, but sometimes I get a bit bored when I'm in a cinema and I have to read subtitles, especially when the screen is huge. Yeah. You know, so the fact that the film had an English dub and the fact that I think the film was also at one point was like distributed by Walt Disney Studios and things like that. Mm. So you're getting a lot of funding sort of pushing this film out. And even when, you know, the fact that it's won an Oscar, right, there still had to have been an Oscar campaign for the film. A lot of money would have gone into sort of promoting it for the Academy and things like that. But just in general, the fact that this film has just been out in so many different places uh, and in so many different dubs, like even before the recording today, I went on Netflix and there's a Polish dub, there's a Portuguese dub, there's even an Arabic yeah, dub. I, I you know, so that. the fact that these dubs were probably created before, you know, it even made its way onto Netflix, the fact that it's just in so many different languages and it's very accessible, I think that's what allowed it to cross into the mainstream because at that time you still, because I think the film came out in 2003, you had a lot of anime, you know, that didn't make its way into the, that zeitgeist, if that makes sense, if it wasn't for dubs and distribution and things like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it kind of shows that it's not always about the quality of the the story i mean obviously this is a very high quality story but it's about the access to that so you can have something like you can have this same story had it not had the distribution might have you know been a a, a niche title or not had the the backing for like you mentioned the oscars campaign to you know get to the point where it's nominated to uh to win and it's kind of like you you get a sense of how how things break into into any mainstream audience that there's a lot of effort beyond just making a really good piece of film and to be honest it's also necessary like for example if you're looking at like shows that were airing in the 90s right dragon ball z sailor moon things like that like the reason that they i'm not saying that they're on the same level as this by no means right but especially dragon ball has a lot of story issues and things like that (laughs) but the reason that those shows made its way into the zeitgeist into sort of the history books of anime is because of the fact that it had dubs and proper distribution and i think this is also one of its strengths for the the ghibli films especially this one here i think on top of that it's like easily palatable but and and you know on top of it being dubbed it's like some anime and even some of the Studio Ghibli films, when they're translated for dubbed, it doesn't mean that everyone can get on board. There's like cultural things that don't quite translate as well. Or you might just need to be a bit more in the know or understanding, be a bit more of an anime fan to like really get it. Like, because I've watched Spirited Way and then other other of their films with people and other films have been like this is weird like why is that happening da, da, da. and you're like just enjoy it stop <laughs> asking questions <laughs> but with this it doesn't have as much as that because the story is sort of like relatable regardless of where you are in the world it's interesting you say that because i was i was thinking like like on the surface if you're new a lot of stuff that happens in this like doesn't make sense because, you know, you're in like the spirit world and there's just weird and, and wonderful creatures and you're, you've got this, this girl taking a job from 
uh, a guy with six arms and it's like yeah it is i can because i what i'm saying is like i can imagine someone who isn't into anime watching this and saying seeing this is weird but then the the themes like tie so well into it that like i said about the the comment about a soul it's just it kind of goes straight to that for me i don't know if that does that make sense yeah i think that makes sense i think yeah the weirdness is kind of wrapped around like this this little girl and and i think as well you can sort of have that link of like a child's imagination and so you don't Mm. have to necessarily know the details of why this man has six arms yeah you just take it it. you're like well it's it's clearly from this even if you don't understand it you're like oh like it's a kid's thing it's like just creations but you can completely understand like a child feeling really sad and confused about moving having to go through tests that they're not ready for like we can all relate to a child going through that (laughs) <laughs> either you've been that child or you know that child and so the the re- the detail doesn't matter so much i think it's a bit like kiki's delivery service in that way yeah i was actually thinking of your name that's what came to my mind in terms of because i think we had a similar conversation i, I don't know uh, me exactly film but having a conversation of certain elements different contexts but certain elements where if you if you pick like closer you can you can find something like oh this you know, this time mechanic doesn't quite stack up in, in here and here, but just because of what the story represents and it's so well done, just accept it and just take what is given as as the art that it is. Yeah, definitely. And another thing, because we recently, for our uh, episode 100, uh, we, we talked about turning red. And one of the things that came up that uh, I thought of here was you've got this, this kind of ties into the the you know, question about the, the mainstream appeal, but you've got this story which features a female protagonist and you have, like Tazzy said, you've got this uh, this kid, this young girl's perspective uh, on, on a new world and new challenges. And it sort of shows you can, because the discussion we had with Turner Red is like, you know, the debate around is this relatable? Is, is this story about, again, the female protagonist too niche in this way? Does it have mass appeal? But coming back to spirit of the way this has just such universal appeal and for me it's just like another example i mean there are, there are many but another example of you can have a different type of protagonist and still have a story that can appeal to to anyone and everyone and it's i mean we'll get into it but there's, there's so much in this that just yeah just I, i'm gonna i feel like i'm gonna reference this this i should have got the name of this uh youtube commenter because i'm I'm just going to reference their work so many times on this, but it just just goes straight to the soul. It just it just touches like uh, on that level. You'll have to um, credit them in the show I know, notes. I know I'm going to have to put a link to their uh, their profile in that. So yeah, there's no question on that. It's just like I just like seeing that, like just examples of diverse protagonists in, in different ways that can still send be grounded in a in a story that appeals to to anyone. It's just nice to see. And also check out our uh, episode 100 where we talked about turning red because that was a cool discussion too. And it was our 100th one, so we celebrated a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did that as well. But then, like, I mean, why do you think that there is this assumption, especially for anime, that like Western audiences won't get what comes out of Japan? And do you feel that's something that is is true? Was it ever true? Uh, is it is it less true now that things are more global? 
I would say yes and no, right? Because sometimes there's this idea as an anime fan when you're very open about it and you say, oh, I love anime. And then people start to think of other things that are similar. I, I don't yes. want to say it out loud, but you know what I mean. And we've got kind of in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's very difficult because a lot of people don't necessarily realize that anime literally is short for animation. And even like regular cartoons, even like um, Disney, if you watch it in Japan, is considered anime, right? So I think people may assume that this stuff that's coming out of Japan is weird and wonderful, and sometimes they want to distance themselves from it. But it's quite interesting because, you know, we mentioned that this film is very relatable. And I think even for Western audiences, it can be incredibly relatable as well, especially like the oh, older sure. generation. Imagine of watching this film in the cinema and you're taking your children with you right at the beginning you notice that they're moving i'm, I'm presuming it's because the father got a new job mm. and they're driving in in a foreign car they're not driving in a japanese car i think they're like it's like an audi or something right oh right. so you could tell that these are very wealthy people and that they're moving right for that reason and even when they're like um when they're eating in the restaurant like he's He's showing Chihiro, he said, don't worry, I've got cash and I've got credit cards. Credit cards, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, There's and, like a line, don't worry, I've got four-wheel driving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does say that as well. <laughs> and and I think that's very relatable to American audiences because around that time, I think that this film was like, what, set in the 80s or the 90s? I don't think Japan was even taking credit cards at the time. I think it was a very new thing, right? Because even now, there's a lot of places in Japan that only take cash. It's a very like cash driven society. And I think it, that in itself is like a reference to, you know, Western, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but like capitalist culture, right? I don't want to get political into this, but it's, I think it's something that is, you know, very relatable to audiences outside of Japan, especially American or British audiences. Because mm. the assumption like Western audiences won't get just japanese stuff in general because uh, like in video games it was a massive thing and like i feel like now it's getting better <laughs> like that assumption is getting removed but i don't think i think the assumption itself is like never never been accurate mm. I, I, it's just a, a, a thing just even within the entertainment industry in general is like oh you won't get this, so we're not going to give it to you rather than giving it to us and then... And then like, seeing if they get it or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's exactly like, it. <laughs> I think something like that is mainly something that's like this, like uh, decided upon by like film executives and things like that. Because it, it reminds me of this one scene <laughs> in Pokemon. I don't know if there's a meme around it. You know, Brock with his jelly-filled donuts and they were onigiris, right? So that, mm. that sort of decision to sort of westernize or change certain parts of an anime or a film to sort of yeah. reflect an audience because they they might assume well our audience might not be cultured enough to actually get this yeah. reference or to understand what's going on so i mean on that because you know i've um i made a note of something i i learned you mentioned uh, bish mentioned like disney uh distribution so uh, i got this from uh from time uh is it cat moon at time who mentioned like talked about the the relationship between uh, Miyazaki and Disney and how it was quite, well, at least at the beginning, maybe 
quite strange. So just reading from the article, it talks about how uh, Disney would later acquire the home video and theatrical rights to Spirited Away in North America. But this partnership had a rocky history. Miyazaki was wary of foreign distribution for his films after the director's 1984 um, movie, uh, Nors- I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right, but uh, Norsica of the Valley of the Winds was infamously edited by Manson International for its US release. A full 22 minutes was cut from the original film and it was promoted as Warriors of the Wind with posters featuring male characters who do not appear in the movie. That struck me that like 22 minutes of a story and then adding male characters who do not appear in the film just because like Tazzy said, you, some executive somewhere has made a decision that our audience isn't going to get this. They're not going to accept I don't know, female leading characters. They're not going to get these certain characteristics of the film. We're going to make the decision to, to cut them out and then showcase in a way that we think this audience will respond to. So I get that. I, I can get that uh, being wary. But yeah, I, just, I, I mean, I don't think the assumption was right in the first place, but I do feel that it's something that is, is changing now with just the cross-pollination of, of different stories. We're seeing like, you know, uh, Korean dramas breaking into the mainstream um, here and all that. So yeah, so it's a good progress. It's just wild to, to read like those decisions being made on like of all people, Miyazaki's work, we're just going to mess up his work <laughs> because uh, we, we need to, we feel we need to change it for our audience. I, this is really crazy to hear. I didn't even know that about Nasica Valley of the Wind. Yeah. One of the things that we always come to with like Miyazaki uh, films is the visuals. Uh, so particularly like this being 2D animation and just the the effort. And we've spoken about other, like we've mentioned other animes. And one of the things I didn't always realize like about Studio, uh, Studio Ghibli where it always looks good. And with like anime series, and maybe Bish, you can shed more light on this, where there's a, there's certain techniques that I find uh, are done in anime series. So uh, for example, just because of how much is produced, just finding ways to shortcut, like having a lot of still shots with, with voiceovers just so you don't have to animate every scene, where something uh, like Miyazaki's work is often like painstakingly done uh, there's no uh, there's no shortcuts basically like everything is is done to to full effect so you're getting these like amazing visuals and we said it on multiple on multiple times where you can just pause like any moment and just get like an amazing uh, visual from the film so i mean what do you think about the animation in this film in particular well the the animation in this film is very impressive i can't deny that um what is more impressive to me is the backgrounds right yeah. you could tell that they were they look like they've been painted on if that makes sense and it, it does make a lot of sense because when you look at an anime series a lot of the time let's let's compare it to like a shonen show or something like um something that's going on weekly right that's currently airing a lot of the time it gets finished that week do you know what i mean yeah. so it's you see the the animation teams are working week by week to produce something and they're very bogged down with deadlines I'd imagine that there's still a deadline for this film, but the fact that you could tell everything is just beautifully, you know, rendered or drawn and the fact that it's also hand-drawn as well. Imagine having to hand-draw all of these frames. And the fact is, around this time, 
there would have been a lot of features that would have started coming in. You know, Miyazaki could have gone and said, hey, we're going to use some 3D animation or we're going to computerize this. But he decided not to go for that. I mean, that technology was there at the time. I think it was a very conscious choice. Oh, certainly, yeah. To go for that sort of hand-drawn style. I think it's also adds to the level of, I don't know, like hominess in the environment. Like you feel very warm. You feel very at home, at peace. Yes, exactly. Lived in. Yeah, yeah. And especially I mentioned the the Oscars win. So the other features nominated in that category had Lilo and Stitch, uh, Treasure Planet, Ice Age, and Spirit Stallion of the Camarion which I'd not heard of, but a lot of 3D films in there. And, you know, talking about Pixar, who have since gone on to win a bunch of uh, bunch of awards in that category, so like made 3D films their thing and inspired others to sort of imitate that, that same thing. But then you've got Miyazaki sticking with 2D and not only putting that, that attention to detail in like the backgrounds, as, as we said, and, and the frame by frame, not shortcutting uh, anything, but even in the way the animation is is reflected so uh, i was reading about uh, miyazaki's attention to detail in animating certain scenes so uh, an example that came up was the scene where uh, chihiro forces open haku's mouth when he's in uh, dragon form uh, to put in that um like the the dumpling that's going to you know, force all this like bad stuff out of his his mouth so miyazaki took the animation team to uh, a vet studio to videotape the vet doing this to a dog and then they studied the videotape and that's the kind of stuff like i love hearing like you could have just imagined that but no we're going to go we're going to see it being done you're going to study it and then we're going to make sure like it reflects as close to uh that uh, as it works for our film and that's the kind of stuff that does just that extra step to make something that comes out to this level that makes so much sense <laughs> Because whenever I watch that scene, it just reminds me of a dog. <laughs> <laughs> like a German Shepherd specifically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it, yeah, it, it comes across. Yeah, everything's so beautiful. And I was like, just, um, I just like got some stills up. And I'm like, even in the stills, like the movement is captured so well in how it's drawn. And it's just such a beautiful film to look at. Like, you could watch it with no sound. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. And the other thing I like, I feel in terms of like the visuals is you, you've got this blend of this fantasy, but the spirit world and mythology um, as well. So there are certain moments in the film where there's like certain shrines and uh, Chihiro asks about, um, or at least he's looking at, at the shrines and... Uh, obviously you've got like the spirits and different situations there and then like the the films using this like belief that spirits are all around us and in everything and this is another example again we've we've talked about this on, on previous ones but just seeing it here again where you just got the the spirits that are among us and present in everything that that we do and the way that comes across visually like i said is it's a weird weird and wonderful that you've got the guy who's working at a bathhouse with six arms and you've got different like creatures walking around it's yeah it's just really cool like visually to see uh, and the little soot creatures what is soot creatures called again were they called anything but you know the ones that were carrying yeah uh, uh, coal 
Um, oh, I've forgotten what they're called, but yeah. I'm pretty sure they just... have a name, like, because they're, I'm pretty sure they're like a a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Susu Watari, that's the name. Ah, okay, thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a recurring theme in a lot of uh, Studio Ghibli films. You see them in, in multiple films. Yeah. So we, we talked about, like, the, the themes and, you know, we can go into some of the themes but the like one of the overarching themes is even though this film is is taking place in this spirit world in in this fantasy setting it kind of talks to and and references japan's lost decade and sort of the economic downfall in this period in the 90s in uh in japan uh where there's a lot of slowdown in their economy and uh, chihiro's father mentions yeah, so he mentions when they first enter like this amusement park or abandoned amusement park area uh, that there was a period in time where there was lots of buildings going on and then the economy went bad. And that kind of goes into this idea of work, which is another sort of big thing going on here where I don't, I don't know what you, what you feel about this, uh, Tazzy, in, in particular, just because I feel we've had this conversation. And I feel going back to what I said early on about sometimes I just seem to be in the place where the film comes along and now it, it means something different i feel this is one of those cases where uh, this idea of just like working and working and working is just ever present in this film and it's almost like um reflecting on society today where we have this you know idea of like hustling and grinding and just continuing to work and work and work and this film kind of captures that it captures that from so many different angles so Chihiro like has to get a job like she's told you you have to get a job otherwise you can't <laughs> you can't stay here she she signs a contract that like literally takes away her name from or by uh Yubaba and it's almost like even though this was you know 20 years ago is this a story that kind of reflects a toxic work culture that we may or may not still have <laughs> uh, today definitely and as you're saying that I'm like Hold on a second. Did this subconsciously have like a an effect on how I view the world uh, going forward? Because <laughs> I've never really fit into like traditional work things. <laughs> I've always just had something that's like this doesn't seem right. The way there's some companies you work for, and it literally feels like your soul is being taken from you. <laughs> <laughs> Like, and I've had a lot of people describe it as that, like, yeah, I just kind of like losing myself. It just feels like my soul is slowly being taken away. And there's definitely still a lot of that. But I feel like it's probably even in some ways worse. I think there's a lot of companies that that recognize this and, and do a lot of work to create good working environments, especially in like startup and tech industries. You know, like they'll have, they'll spend a lot of money on like break rooms and and having like spaces for their their employees to chill out. But then I think in some cases it's worse. Like when more people becoming self employed are starting up side hustles or, or or businesses that they take this like really toxic. I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone on this podcast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Working traits where they feel like they need to work all the time and don't actually schedule time out for themselves, which is also something I am guilty of. Yeah, this does sound familiar. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> so I think it really does still reflect a lot of of like toxic overworking. And I was having this discussion with a friend earlier, actually, that in the animal kingdom and then a few, quite a few years back, but a study done on sort of like tribes that aren't sort of in a big society actually spend the majority of their time just being idle, like completely idle. And that's something that especially here, here, I think probably quite globally in a lot of places is like this need to constantly busy, be busy. And even when you're not like hustling and it's such like a medal of honor when you're like hustling and like not having any sleep. And then even when we're not, we're like filling that downtime with constant input, like watching TV or even like reading or just scrolling on on social media that we never actually have idle time, which is something that we need. But circling back so that I'm not losing my point <laughs> going a whole other tangent. I definitely think that's that's still like reflected, still reflects a lot of society. And I feel like a lot of people are trying to hold on to that like hustle life work it's not even just hustle life it's like because what i think this really shows it's not about like working it's about working for someone that's literally taking your soul yeah <laughs> and i think that's a big difference yeah no that's a good point because she like she doesn't necessarily well she know she doesn't want to do this she has to so that that's made um that's made clear she has to do this and then when she goes to meet uh your baba there's you know there's the whole thing made about you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna work you, I'm gonna give you the worst jobs. And then like you see her name literally being taken as she as she signs the contract, she loses her name, her uh, her identity, or is at risk of losing her identity if she forgets her name. So you kind of you're seeing that that aspect of it, like you say, Tazzy, where it's not it's not something that she wants to do and then you she's putting the effort uh, into it, but it's something that she she has to do, she's forced to do it, she's almost ground down by that process, by that system. But I mean, what do you think, Bish? Do, uh, do I work too, too much? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of feel like that as well. I mean, having my own podcast, I don't give time for myself. I do everything. So it was refreshing to hear Tazzy talk about that because I felt like she was talking about me specifically, but yeah. I, I just related to that. But it was it's very interesting about this whole toxic work you know culture i mean even miyazaki should have that because in japan there's this thing called black companies where people sign on for work in offices they don't get paid they have to do overtime but they don't get paid for it uh they don't have like healthcare benefits and things like that and it's just a horrible place to like to work but a lot of the companies in japan are like that it's kind of like sweatshop vibes right and i kind of felt that sort of that same sort of vibe in the bathhouse right in the film because it kind of reminded me also of and this is something that's still happening to this day and it's i don't know if many people know about this but if you go to places like in the middle east right there's a lot of workers that aren't of the native population so people coming from uh, asia and africa and they're coming over there to work and they literally a, a lot of employers will take their passports away from them right and they will force them to work in the country because they have to work to, to provide for their families. And it kind of reminded me of Chihiro losing her name. She's losing her identity. In the same way, these people overseas, unfortunately, are being put into those same positions. So, yeah, it is. It's a it does. The film does a great job of reflecting that toxic environment at work 
to so many different cultures and and even to this day and i think even for the anime industry as well because we mentioned that you know this film was all um hand drawn and things like that but it kind of reminded me of how much animators get paid they don't get paid a lot so i, I kind of find it very ironic as well that miyazaki is trying to portray this but your average animator in japan makes around 10,000 us dollars a year at the base level wow and like even we mentioned mugen train right the demon slayer film that film i think made something how much it made like millions at a box office okay it said a half a billion us dollars so 500 million usd the author of the of the series only made like what 40,000 us dollars from from the film My. so it goes to show that this is still something that is a plaguing all industries but also the anime industry as well so i i kind of found that a little bit ironic that he's that miyazaki was trying to show this but at the same time it's it's something that's plaguing his industry i don't know how much the animators would have gotten paid for this film but i'm hoping if he's showing off this is what's going on i'm hoping that they are yeah, yeah. paid well you know no i get that and yeah it is is unfortunately a message that has aged well in yeah. in today because it just it just feels relatable personally and also what what we're seeing although I, I like what i'm doing but uh yeah definitely uh balance uh in there needs to be worked on so yeah just seeing that just uh Chihiro go through that system so i'm going to use the word system there because she's once she's in she's like following the steps that she feels she has to do um because she's under contract and all that so yeah it's Yeah, it's a shame and like I said it's one of those things that just makes you and this is the good thing about or the thing about good stories it just it just makes you think about life like if it was a good story that you're thinking about it after it's done and how it might apply to your life like that's a good story so uh, another example of this being uh, a good story and it's a a story with a number of characters that like work to this this theme or I mean there are a number of themes and and they all fit within that um so you've got essentially a capitalist system and we mentioned uh Yubaro who's literally in a penthouse while uh the the minions do the the heavy lifting or heavy washing uh, as it might be and that kind of again represents the this this capitalist system that we that we have and then what's also interesting is like the the characters have some good some bad in them so i don't know if anyone had a favorite character but i i mean i quite like uh, Chihiro and her transformation because she starts off the story is quite um personally actually quite annoying <laughs> she she's quite annoying to me but you could see like she was someone who was like lacking in confidence and was scared of where they were going like that fear of of the future and you can see the child but then as she goes through this system and as she's being hit with all these things that uh, she has to do sign a contract do the work clean this like stink spirit each time you you see the the confidence uh, going and what i really liked about her is that she had a a purpose uh, there's a way to be a system like she had a purpose and she held that purpose even as she was faced with all these trappings of the the capitalist system and then she also like kept her kept her connection because there was a thing about like connection to spirits and she kept that because she had that trust in Haku even though others around her was were saying i think it was Lynn who was saying like you know don't trust don't trust him and people like throwing doubt on him but she maintained that that trust you maintain that purpose and that got her through um, but i don't know what you thought about her or, or some of the other characters 
for me, to be honest with you, I didn't really have any favorites or least favorite characters. I didn't really think about it that way, if that makes sense, right? Mm. It was a bit odd for me. Like, I never really thought about it in, in such a way in which, oh, I really relate to this character. I don't. I, I kind of thought about it in a very superficial way, which I think sometimes as anime fans, we look at a character and we're like, oh, my God, they're so cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, for me, that's no face. But <laughs> it, just because, like, even if you go to MCM Expo, like, everyone cosplays as, as no face. Yeah, it's like yeah. the easiest thing it's to easy. do. It's easy, yeah, yeah. But it's so cool because the way that No Face looks and the expression and and the way like his hands are pointed out and he just he, I don't think he understands that money doesn't really re, like not everything revolves around money like I I just wanted to know where he got that idea from you know because he's constantly trying to give Chihiro money and it's like well, she doesn't need it but he's just giving it you know what I mean and and obviously yeah that money does kind of disintegrate after a while but. I don't understand where his, what is his understanding? Like, how did he get to that point in his own life where he thinks, hey, money is going to fix all the problems? Well, I'd, I'd imagine, and this is just like, obviously, just assumption, speculation, but just seeing the reaction to when he did do that, you can imagine he's he's done something like that before, seeing the reaction from people, and then, oh, this is what people respond to, so I'm going to keep doing this. No face is one of my a character i really like because we know my struggle with favorites and but i think no face is one of my like top characters okay well i didn't know what to make of him he was like, of all, all of them but i feel like because no face is kind of like a child like you said like is responding to the they're responding to the reaction of other people and but for me I feel like No Face represents someone who learns something as a child and never grows out of it like they're stuck in that thing because it fixed something in the past that they now think it always fixes something right. and that they have they don't have bad intentions yeah because okay. as soon as they're not in the bathhouse they're chill. <laughs> and that's but like, a, that was the thing. They're trying quite to a sudden help. Change. Yeah. It just shows like, and I, like for me, when I'm watching it, obviously no face doesn't speak in, apart from when he's had loads of people. Once he's eaten the people, <laughs> he's got a voice, but you know, for most of it, he doesn't speak. Um, and definitely not the bits where he's chill, but it's kind of like, Oh, Chihiro done this nice thing for me. I must pay Chihiro back. The only thing I understand is, money and maybe like in a case of i don't know why these people like this thing but i've seen them pass it around <laughs> and they seem to get excited <laughs> but actually first because the first thing he gives her isn't money is that those like water tokens because he yeah. yeah she lets him in and then she needs, she needs the one and then yeah. like to the point about her purpose she's like she's very like no i just need one like i don't need all of these like i don't i don't want it but he's like, no, yeah. you just have them all. And it's like he's really trying to repay that and like has this. Yeah. But I just like No Face because it's the idea that like No Face's character like, doesn't speak, but expresses so much in like such a childlike state. Yeah. I don't know. And then um, the baby, Bo. <laughs> and 
their character development I love because it goes from like just yeah <laughs> play with me play with me or I'll break your arm <laughs> that made to like made laugh. <laughs> yeah and like just need it like just being spoiled and having everything they could ever want and then going from that and like only really knowing them their mum to then like having friends and going on an adventure and then standing up to their mum who they're the only person that can they they're the only person with that power yeah that's a good point yeah yeah actually the, the baby went on quite a journey yeah <laughs> and like i just love i just love the baby I just, yeah. It just made me laugh because you, because you kind of, you hear him before you see him and then you see him <laughs> and then, and then I'm like, I think, I think in my mind, I was like, it'd be funny if that baby started talking and then the baby started the baby talking. talking. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I love Chihiro's reaction. It's like, wow, you're a big baby. And you're like, that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what what did you think about the baby fish? You know what? The baby kind of made me think too much about my own life, you know? Because okay. I, I come from like a Middle Eastern family, right? So you're often kind of spoiled, especially if you're like the only son or uh, if you're an only child or whatever. You're, you're often spoiled a lot in the same way as this baby is, right? And the baby doesn't understand that he can't go out and, and stuff like that. Cause the, apparently if he goes out, he's going to die. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff that his mom <laughs> told him. Do you know what I mean? And, and like coming from that sort of household, I see, and, and that sort of community, I see it a lot. Like parents are like, no, don't go outside. Outside's dangerous. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't right. go out and be free. And sometimes you feel as though because of your upbringing, you feel as though you can't really go out and express yourself. Right. Mm. And the baby, like the story of the baby and, and their journey is very powerful because it gives like, especially when I was watching this as a child, right? It it, it puts that in your head and it's like, wow, I, I can be free. The world outside is scary, it's dangerous, but if I sort of prepare myself, I could do it. You know what I mean? And seeing how happy they are when they sort of, even in the rat form, right? As the mouse, they're very, they're very happy because for the first time in a long time, they can go out. And they can experience the world and they can see everything, right? The good and the bad. And that sort of hit home for me. Also, like, weirdly violent baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll break your arm. Like, whoa, hey. <laughs> I actually just got quotes up and I forgot that, like, one of them's like, if you go, I'll cry. The mama will hear me and mama will come here and kill you. <laughs> I tend to kill you with such, like... <laughs> <laughs> like you meant that like <laughs> yeah yeah that baby had some i don't know some violent tendencies there i don't know where he picked yeah. that up yeah. oh, oh, well, up from his yeah, mother yeah, 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 interaction that's happening yeah yeah and then also like i just love lynn and like her acting like she doesn't care about chihiro lynn was an interesting one to me yeah her like and like, what's your motivation for helping her? It's kind of like she's done it on a whim. <laughs> it's yeah, like, I got that impression. <laughs> like, I'll see where this goes. And then just sort of like, Chihiro grows on her. Mm. And she's like, actually, I really, really want to support this girl. <laughs> and I'm here for it. <laughs> but Haku is probably my favorite character. Specifically in dragon form. <laughs> 
I just love every moment that Haku's in dragon form. There's like a complexity to Haku's character just in general, but even more so his dragon form moments. And also like just cool. <laughs> yeah, again, visually, just visually cool. I get that. I, 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 I'm going to come to Haku just like, because you mentioned Lin. Like Lin and Kamaji both, like those characters interested me because they are, they're like characters that kind of accept their role in the system and because mm. like one of our stories uh hot lunch that uh, we've got a volume one and i'm just circulating ideas for the volume uh two and i've got this thing about characters accepting their place in the system and like kamaji is the he runs the boiler room of the of the bathhouse and he's just he's just that's his place that's his role he's he's so I was going to say stuck. He's not stuck, but he's just, you know, that he fits into his, like his seating arrangement thing going on and he's efficient and he just, he just works away. There's no, I, I don't recall like there being a question of his role. He's just, he's just doing the thing. He's just going. So there's, there's always like that character that just like fits into the system and mm-hmm. he just accepts it. And then you've got Lin who is what in, for one, in this, in this weird and wonderful eclectic character lineup, she looks sort of normal by human standards um but she's in a role who and she dreams of leaving the system because i think she has that conversation with uh Chihiro about either leaving or, or dreams but never actually does anything and to your point tazzy about how Chihiro or sen grows on her because Chihiro comes in and she's like no I'm, I'm i'm here for something and like i'm working towards something and i, I feel like it's that that attracts lynn to her because she's that character who you know i i'm going to complain about a job am i going to do anything to to change the situation to leave it no mm. until maybe i see or meet someone like chihiro who goes i'm here for a purpose like i need to and i'm not going to forget that i'm not going to be tempted by the gold or whatever it is i've got this pure purpose i'm going to come in uh, i feel that's why like lynn attaches herself to uh chihiro yeah I almost forgot about the character as well, the frog. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> the, the, the frog that's kind of like that supervisor that takes their job way too seriously. <laughs> yeah, give them a bit of power. <laughs> yeah, but like, but like the frog, I'm like, it reminds me of, of all like supervisors that get paid like 20p more per hour than, than everyone else, but like act like they're the ceo of the company yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is this frog <laughs> got an extra 20 that's, that's funny and a uh, shout out in a bad way to um uh Chihiro's parents because they i feel like they they're quite dismissive of her in the beginning but i don't know they they made out in the end uh because of her but it's just like the way they kind of dismiss her fears and also i was just gonna say shout out to the radish spirit Right at the beginning, where Lin Lin's taken Chihiro up to Yubaba, and then uh, the frog oh, comes because he's like, "That's not massive... so funny." Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. Lin's oh. like a bit like, "Oops, I've got a human, and the Raja spirit is here." But the Raja spirit actually helps Chihiro. Yeah, yeah, and the oh my god, I'm just going to list all the characters, <laughs> but the um, river spirit that Chihiro saves, or the stink spirit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a because I was going to touch on themes as well, and you had that uh, environmental theme where once 
he starts coughing up once like Chihiro finds the, the thing that's stuck inside and he just have all this junk and just stuff just pour out of the river spirit and you see why it's, it's been turned into a stink spirit but yeah so you know we always like to talk about like themes and uh certainly strong themes in in this as uh, as in much of Miyazaki's work and there's like recurring themes uh swell things that are in some other stories that we've we've talked about but because it has this like fantastical word if that's a if that's a word fantastical i don't know uh fantastical word i'm going to go with it it's like i mentioned before it's like you could watch this on the surface level and be like like i don't know what this is about or what what's happening but it has these slightly like, symbols and like themes that but i think are you know relatively clear we've, we've talked about that sort of idea of toxic work culture but then uh do also leave like room for interpretation um so like bish you mentioned uh greed earlier and i feel there's a lot of that in terms of like symbolism where you have like from the beginning uh Chihiro's parents just like tucking into uh to food and getting turned into pigs pigs being a symbol for greed and even in some cases you know a capitalist system like what do you think about the idea of like greed and and overconsumption in some cases too yeah i i thought it was very interesting because i mean I, when i watched it originally i i didn't really care about it i was like oh they turned into pigs and whatnot but then as i grew older and i just kept watching this film yeah you could see it in our own system you know in our own sort of lives today that there are people that are incredibly consumed with you know just making money doing this doing that right and we kind of get lost because the thing is that we kind of forget about those pigs yes they are a symbol of greed but at the same time executed right they were going to be killed to be then refed into the system and i think people tend to forget this a lot that the higher you are the easier it is to take you down and people <laughs> will, will use you to to sort of as feed for the system it's kind of like a snake eating its own tail. Sounds, yeah. That's how I kind of saw about it. Wow. I, yeah. Okay. I had no, no thought of that. That is, uh, yeah, be, that's true because they were going to be or slaughtered and, yeah, fed back in. Wow. There you go. That's <laughs> even more so like, uh, yeah, capitalism. How about that? And then, like, again, we, we, the toxic work culture we talked about, but uh, the other one that was quite key was like the, the power of names and identity and that idea of, needing to remember who you are or in Chihiro's case you'd be stuck under uh, your barber's rule and when she goes to demand a job you see like the contract and the kanji for her name which uh, I read was left with the kanji for sen which means a thousand so almost in that sense it's like reduced to a number so again you know you you work for a, know, a big corporation or whatever it might be where your the individual becomes less important than just the the place in the system so like i say this film <laughs> aged pretty well just it just feels like it just fits into that theme of just losing yourself uh in the system which the hero doesn't do again so like even with the talking about greed and, and overconsumption, when uh, no face initially offers her the token or the, the pile of tokens you're like you know i just need one uh, when it was the goal, she's like, I'm, I'm not here for that. <laughs> like, I'm going to turn away from that. And yeah, she maintains her, her identity, her purpose, even as she is literally reduced to a number in this system. And I think for me, the theme, actually, this is the one theme I did notice when I was younger watching it is the theme of friendship in this is really strong. 
Yeah. And, you know, actually, you mentioned like sort of like friendship and uh, love as well. And uh, just I'm always struck, particularly with like uh, Ghibli films, is watching the development of friendships, of, of loving relationships, just how different they are portrayed than not all, but uh, sort of a lot of sort of Western media, because it's almost like there's certain. I don't know, it's almost like in Western media, there's certain checklists, like, I don't know, eyes meet across the room, flash forward to uh, the, the scene where they're in the bedroom and, and done, they're in a relationship. Whereas mm. in like here, it's, it's just different. It unfolds differently. It, it means something different. Yeah, it like actually develops, you know, from something. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't just happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's just got like really strong, strong themes of like, of friendship and and like actually connecting with people with each other because even the um the hair band that they make the the baby oh <laughs> and no face and the is it the heads that get turned into something with oh no the heads become the baby what is the little flying that was um oh yeah what was that Anyway, yeah, I know what you mean. Though, <laughs> um, so they all they all like spin the thread for the hairband, and then uh, Zaniba is like, you know, this will bring you good luck because it's woven by the threads spun by your by your friends. And I'm like, every time, every time that seed just touches me, like, oh my god, you're just protected by the love of your friends, like. <laughs> No, I, I, yeah, I, I did like that. I, I appreciate that. Like the whole, again, like you said, sort of friendships and uh, relationships and how it's portrayed. And this just feels more more meaningful. And like, you know, I'll, even like when they first met, when Haku and uh, Chihiro first met, where I think Haku says something like, I've, I've known you for a long time. And then you just realize how their relationship first developed. It's just, yeah, it, it's just really, uh, really cool to see. So, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like this this whole film is just such a great case for how to implement themes and symbols and meaning into a story. And like I say, I'm going to credit this, I'm going to find this YouTube, uh, this person on YouTube and credit them that goes straight to uh, straight to the soul and just like leaves you thinking about the experience and how it can apply uh, to your life after you've watched it. But does anyone have any favorite moments or moments that other moments that sort of touch them? Uh, to be honest with you, I think my favorite moment, I know this sounds a bit annoying, but my favorite moment is the whole film. I can't pick out <laughs> one particular moment. It's a masterpiece. It's it's like deciding which one of your children is, is your favorite. You can't do it. No, I, I get that. I definitely, definitely get that. Um, have you got something, Tazzy? I mean, other than like the moments I spoke about and like Bishop, the whole film, <laughs> a moment that I really enjoyed is just of this film is when Chihiro remembers uh, who Haku is. There's like a a feeling that like just bubbles up to this moment and then like burst. I mean, it literally, you know, yeah, the yeah. scale is like, <laughs> but it, uh, like it just, but I feel like just my emotions burst with it. Like it's just such a powerful, like moment of the film they and it's done so it. well yeah they do and i think it's just done so well and i just think it's be- like a beautiful animation sequence as well 
Yeah, and it's quite uh, because they foreshadow it. Because I think you see uh, Chihiro Sen have flashbacks or like half flashbacks, like fragments of of memories, and then it kind of comes together and solves like a, a release, and then you get the like literal shattering of of Haku in, in dragon form, and you just see everything just comes together. And it's like, oh right, it all fits. Like okay, I get I get what's happening and uh, and what it all means, and then you see their their connection. So you know that was a really nice moment. One that is, is not as uh, necessarily meaningful, but made me laugh is when you had No Face, when he was in the height of his like just causing chaos and eating people. And I think the the word went up to Yababa that, you know, this, this guy's a problem. So I think she comes down and he's just like, just wrecking stuff. And she, she has this like, it's like a fireball or something. And it just, I don't know if you remember that, but she just like hits him with like in my mind, she just like, did a hadouken and just like hit him with, <laughs> with that to stop him because I don't think she ever did anything like that in the film before or since. So it's like a standout moment for me. It's like, wait, she did, did she just hit him with like a kamehameha or something? Like, <laughs> like that was a hilarious moment for me. That moment was just funny as well because she's so your brother's so frazzled. That's the only time you sort of see her. Other than dealing with her baby, like show any real stress of emotion. <laughs> yes. And isn't completely like the only other moment where she's not completely in control, like until the ending. Oh, uh, yeah. That's quite funny. Uh, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't thought that. I, I, I was distracted by the, the Hadouken. And, and, um, yeah, that is like a, it's just too much. Like, and she just released this, this energy. But, but yeah, and then, I guess like like the the message in this that I, I guess we do we need to be more spiritual is that like the message in this in this film like what do you both think I know like Tazzy is is definitely spoken about this but yeah what do you think about like the way that was portrayed because the the person who wins or or uh, Chihiro kind of get what she she wants ultimately and and she grows is by having that connection with the spirit world. And just leaving the trappings of this site before um, behind her, yeah. Do we just all need to chill? And I say, do we all? I say, like me. Uh, this is this is me projecting uh, a lot. But yeah, just be more spiritual and just find some balance uh, yeah, in life. Mm, I, I wouldn't necessarily say in terms of spiritual. I mean, yes, that is an aspect. But for me, it was more so just what kind of stuck out to me was just remembering the past right remembering a more simpler time if that makes sense and sort of trying to relive that nostalgia only because yeah i mean i don't know like when when she did go into that spirit spirit world right it was sort of i don't know it, it reminded me a lot of like the same sort of era that um demon slayer is set in right that sort of i think maybe what demon slayer was pre-war japan that sort of time right when japan's economy was booming and they started to bring in a lot of foreign investments and foreign trade and things like that it kind of reminded me like that you know like do we need to go back to a time in which we don't need to worry about oh driving you know your german car or you know what i mean right not living that sort yeah. of lavish lifestyle and you know yeah i think you make a good point because even you know, the, the past two years of like this sort of pandemic uh, lockdown, in lockdown, out of lockdown, living and how like unfortunately like if you have economies almost being crumbled. 
and you've got this this movement i use that word of like this great great resignation where people just like leaving their jobs and realizing there's there's got to be more to this like i I don't like where where i am and it it sort of makes you to your point like think it has the way we've been living just like it's the one it's the system that we're we've been used to and it it works for certain things clearly but is is that it is that all it needs all it can be is there more yeah do we need to take a step back at, at some point is there a better balance it does make you think about um about that side of things as well and i think it, it, it poses a question are we going to be like characters like lynn right in which we are basically accepting that system as you mentioned before or mm. are we going to be like jihiro who actually goes out and actively challenges it mm. that's a good question i think on the um like spiritual thing i think spirituality and nature especially in this film are intertwined and it's like not necessarily like a kind of somewhat agree with what bush said like not necessarily going back to a simpler time but taking moments to appreciate a simpler time and also just being it's just appreciated and connected with with nature and again, like nature and uh, spirituality being intertwined, because uh, obviously, like all the spirits here, like represent something, <laughs> uh, whether it's a river or or something else. But just like being connected and to that, and not forgetting, and like remembering that we are still a part of that. That is that is part yes. of us, and um, not like getting bogged down by by capitalism, <laughs> <laughs> but also the fact that like. It, kind of like you can live with or without it if you're connected to nature and spirituality then whether a capitalist economy is thriving or crashing that doesn't take away from like your place and your happiness and your right to exist as much as anything else that is created in this world and i think that's what spirit is (laughs) there we go there more learnings, more themes from this uh, amazing film. Uh, that has been our discussion on Spirited Away. So as always, you can let us know what you think about uh, this classic, uh, our discussion. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, before we wrap for this episode, let's go into our storytelling tip. Each time we do a deep dive on the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their own stories. So this is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others. So for today's episode, I wanted to discuss crafting um, symbols and motifs. So again, I mentioned Hot Lunch earlier, so something that I've been thinking about and with our sort of the story that's currently in development with uh, 11th Hour and Tazzy's story, basically all our stories, um, just looking at sort of how to use uh, symbols and motifs in the story's narrative. So Spirited Away is a film that means much more than the sequence of events that unfold over its two-hour runtime. And it means more because of the great use, or in part because of the great use of symbols and uh, motifs. So motifs are recurring subjects, themes, and ideas that develop or help develop and inform uh, narrative themes. So the key thing is that they connect to the big ideas of the stories. Because you see a sunrise, for example, multiple times doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's uh, a theme or a motif. 
But if there is a central theme about continuing to rise in the face of darkness, then maybe a sunrise might be being used to support that specific narrative theme, along with other story elements. So the uh, Readsley blog puts it well and says, if the theme of a book, in that example, is its heartbeat, then motifs are the vessels that keep the blood coursing through the narrative, which I thought was a really good uh, description. And with symbolism, um, that is a device that uses symbols to represent something beyond the literal meaning of what we read or see. So objects, places, colors, and characters can take on more meaning. So for example, uh, in stories where you may see uh, babies and children can be symbols or that represent innocence or birds can be symbols that represent freedom. Uh, so Spirited Away is full of both motifs and symbols. Uh, when it comes to motifs, we've already spoken about things such as greed. So seeing Chihiro's parents, uh, their greed lead them to just like tuck into this food, uh, eventually turning them into pigs. We see the bathhouse wor workers' greed blind them to the dangers of no face. And Yubaba shows uh, a greed that leads her to even overlook the kidnapping of her uh, own baby, which she uh, claims to cherish so much. Um, we talked about the environment. So a recurring motif in this and in much of Miyazaki's work in Spirited Away, we're constantly reminded of the consequences uh, of actions that alter the natural world in destructive ways. So Haku loses his home because the river was paved over to build homes. And Chihiro's father even notes early in the film that many theme parks were built in Japan during boom times and they were abandoned when the economy tanked. Um, so there's also good use of symbols. We see a lot of water represents entrapment and freedom. So Chihiro was saved by a water spirit. Um, she then crosses into the spirit world and discovers that the previously dry ground is now a huge body of water that um, she can't cross. Uh, she also works in a bathhouse that depends on water to keep people uh, under employment or entrapment, depending on your point of view. Uh, and gold is another symbol because it connects with the motive of greed. So we see many characters, although not your hero, obsess over gold, even when it brings them misery uh, and literally gets them uh, eaten. So most notably when No Face makes gold out of thin air, uh, allowing him to run riot in the bathhouse. So all these motifs and symbols lead us to consider how the wider themes apply in our world today, even with ourselves. So even though this is a film that was made uh, over 20 years uh, ago. Uh, so how can you use motifs and symbols in your stories? Here are three things to consider. Uh, so number one is to think about the meaning in your narrative. Uh, so this can be a tricky one and it's not going to come out the first time um, all the time, but it is really important because it influences so much in your story. So your motifs and symbols are there to reinforce themes in your story, which means you need to have themes in there in the first place. So really think about what you're trying to say with your story, not just literal events that are happening in the story, but the deeper meaning of those events. And from there, you can think about ways to showcase those meanings through number two, symbols. So you can develop symbols from the themes. So have a think about the objects, the places, uh, colors, characters that could be used to reinforce the themes in your narrative. So remember that this doesn't all have to be done at once on first draft or even third, second, third, uh, whatever it might be. 
Uh, you may find that after multiple iterations, uh, you'll get a clear sense of theme and you'll see how your story can better accommodate uh, symbols. And number three is you can then look for motifs. So this is where you can look at, at deeper for connections and look for phrases, uh, even music if it applies and other concepts that can be used to reinforce the themes in multiple places across your story. So also remember that a symbol can be a motif if it is repeated at various intervals in your story. So again, just repeat, this is an iterative process. So don't worry if all this doesn't come uh, to your story immediately. As it develops, those connections will hopefully become uh, easier to spot. Uh, and that is our tip for this episode of Story X Story. Uh, so before we wrap, Tazzy, let's check in with our guest. This is the segment where we get to know a bit more about what our guest is up to and any projects that they have coming up. So Bish, would you like to let us know what is in the works from you? There's so much going on because we have a lot of different podcasts, gaming, anime, uh, there's one for food and obviously a Japanese only podcast. But expect on our anime podcast, Kunai and anime podcast, we're doing a lot of content in collaboration with uh, Crunchyroll and Funimation around uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, mainly Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the film that came out, uh, I think, a couple of months ago. Um, we've done some voice actor interviews with Keiji Tang, who's the voice of uh, Gojo Satoru, and uh, best boy in uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, do not at me, and did a season one episode with uh, our co-host Jacob, who I love, and I'm, you know what, I'm giving him a shout out. This is not my place, but I love him that much, I'm going to give him a shout out. And I think that's it. We're going to be trying our best to bring out more consistent episodes throughout the coming months. I'm always willing to take your suggestions as well. Awesome. We'll make sure we uh, put links to stuff in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, Bish, uh, thank you very much for joining uh, Amir uh, about a decade after uh, I first joined your podcast. I appreciate you coming on. Okay, anytime. And for uh, everyone who's listening, if you enjoyed this episode of Story X Story, uh, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast uh, and give us a five-star rating and review because this helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Don't forget to check out our own stories on the My Matter website. So we have a number of titles available, including our latest release, Serious Through the Fog, a story about a pandemic that was written during the pandemic, uh, which, as I found, was harder uh, than I first anticipated. Uh, so you can see all those at mymatter.com forward slash manga. You can also join the Studio 77 Discord uh, and check out our new membership for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the Maya Matter universe. And our Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign is live. As I mentioned earlier, this is a campaign we have launched so that future generations of talent will know there is a place for them in the video games industry, regardless of where they come from or what they may look like. Uh, so we want to empower them to be an active part of shaping the future of that industry. So we've got events in store. We've got uh, convention uh, appearances uh, to come. You can also check out the photo campaign part um, where we featured 40 players and makers uh, and profiled them as well. 
And yeah, just keep an eye on news about our events and how you can get involved. Uh, all that will be up on looklikeagamer.com. Um, as for the podcast, we release new episodes on Thursdays that include creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. And you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at mymatter.com and our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, and until next time, stay safe and remember... If capitalism ever gets too much, uh, just hit it with a hadouken, and I think that will clear it right up. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.